welcome to SlayerFest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and joining me for this second recording of Angel, we have journalist, podcaster, drag queen, and my favorite live event partner, Ryan Houlihan. Hi, Ryan. Hello. And next up, we have creator of Passion of the Nerd and uh, the only other person I've ever recorded who shares my name. Uh, Ian Martin. Hi. Hi. And finally, here but not here, we have from Drag Race UK Season 1. Oh, hi. It's Crystal here. And due to some internet malfunctions in my hotel room, I am coming to you live from the future with my thoughts and hot takes on this episode of Angel. So first up, before we get into this episode, which is called Lonely Heart, and I have to say, before I watched it, I was like, I don't remember which episode this is. Because the first no, I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> the first few episodes of Angel are like a little rocky in my memory. Um, totally. Do you remember how or when you got into Angel? My way into Angel, I think, is probably the same for most people. I just needed more Buffy verse in my life. Uh, I don't even know if I started watching Angel straight away because I wasn't that invested in him as a character on Buffy. I think I got into Angel after Buffy finished. I don't know. I was I never cared that much. But then when I finally did sit down and watch the entire thing, I enjoyed. Hell yes. <laughs> I was so deep into Buffy and I had watched everything that I could catch up on DVDs. I'd been watching it live. I had like downloaded like unauthorized stuff. I was running out of content. And finally, I was like, fine, I'll watch a show about Angel. Because part of me thought like, it's about a boy. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like a teenager. I was, you know, like 13 or 14. And then I popped in one episode and was like, what have I been doing? And then fell down that rabbit hole. And I watched as much of Angel as it aired and started watching it live. Then I went back and watched Buffy and Angel in tandem via the DVDs, like machete cut style. Nice. Um, because I had not a lot going on at the time. <laughs> and then I went for Angel as Angel for Halloween for two years because I was so obsessed. So. Oh my God, I love that. Um, you know, it's funny, my... Uh, Jason Sullivan reminded me in our first recording that because, you know, if you live with me, I make you watch Buffy and Angel. Um, <laughs> and like we're the first five, I think the first six years in New York, I lived with him first five or six, I forget. But he reminded me in our first recording, I made him watch it that way, where it was like, we watch them in airing order. So we would watch an episode of Buffy, then an episode of Angel, then an episode of Buffy, then an episode of Angel. Um, unless it was like a cliffhanger episode, then I would be like, okay, we can do both. It's so weird. Because it's the way it was meant to be watched in real time. But at the same time, like, it does feel perverse. <laughs> right? It feels weird. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the back-to-back -back pairing this season is, uh, what, Living Spaces? Yeah. With, yeah. Uh, with Lonely Heart. And Living Spaces is a Buffy season four is kind of like they visually got rid of the... Uh, the visual horror aspects of it. The first two seasons are very dark. Mm -hmm. The third season is a little bit lighter and the fourth season is super saturated and them sort of embracing this like bubblegum identity of the show visually yeah. at least. Yeah. And then you have angel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking like, um, I, the first time I watched the show, I was deep into Buffy uh, watching it for the first time. And I started hot swapping with angel. And I have to admit my first run through of Angel was a chore. And I think it was that um, the the contrast of the two flavors of the show were so, ex yeah. of the shows were so extreme. And mm. I was so into Buffy and had four seasons to attach to those characters um, that 
whenever you, I, uh, I had to take a break and it was like the vegetables with the food that I really enjoyed um, <laughs> watching Angel. The I didn't grok to Angel until I, I watched the all five seasons all the way through without swapping to Buffy. And then sort of you get into the, I got into the flavor of the show and what it was actually doing and didn't have that weird dissonance between the two seasons. The, the way, the time when it's least like that, I think is six and three, but six is the uh, PTSD depression season of Buffy. So that makes sense that, right, that it yeah. feels more like angel. <laughs> yeah. I, it is weird because you're right. Like season one of angel tries to go more serious and more dark and like, but then season four of Buffy is like more light. I think they were trying to prove a point to be like, they're not, it's not two hours of Buffy yeah. every week. They're two shows and they have their own artistic vision and blah, blah, blah. And what they really should have done was temper, what they eventually did was temper each with what they wanted the other to be a little bit mm-hmm. and slowly get to what the show that they would have made if they weren't. I, at some point in the in in um, this episode, I wrote that the word poser is a very funny insult. Um, and I think it actually applies here. If they were not posing as a show that they weren't, and they just made the show that they were, I think Angel and Buffy season four both would have benefited from it. Buffy season four is great. I, you know, no notes. But <laughs> for Angel, I think it would have been easier if they weren't trying so hard to make it like, they're in their 20s, they're at a bar, we're not going to show the, d- the sun at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, in the first episode, I Zach pointed out, and I was like, God, I fucking forgot. He was like, Cordelia is like 18 or 19 in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Because <laughs> like, they <laughs> for sure like age her up right like yeah well she's like you know clubs like this i'm like how <laughs> yeah. did she even get in like, yeah. <laughs> does she have does she have a birthday in all five seasons i think just it, in it, the one it, there it's such a uh a, um every season of buffy's birthday is such a specific episode yeah and yeah then maybe as a way of ignoring her age i don't i i think i remember one birthday episode and that's it yeah yeah Yeah, there's just the one i think it's just the one yeah it's so weird and like the other thing i've noticed now like having to like dissect both the first two episodes they really try to do like a weird reset with angel that doesn't quite work for me but we'll get into that. So the episode we've already, you know, we've we've met our characters. It I it's still so funny that the show has only three people in the opening credits. Um it's so good. Just <laughs> like I'm songs, like to bone. Come right? on. Because <laughs> the song's like not that short for a credit with three characters. Um but so we open and we've already met Doyle and Cordelia. They kind of like, this is more like, up. Oh, we've already got the the setting. We've got angel investigations, whatever. Um, so they're in the office and we learn of like Doyle's crush on Cordelia. And he wants angel to like, he wants them to like, oh, go out and celebrate. Uh, and once again, as in the end of the first episode, Cordelia comes in and she is the smartest business person on the, the team. <laughs> Cordelia's and, so good at capitalism. She really is. <laughs> and listen, we saw in the first episode, she's like broke. She needs to make that money. So like, I just love how good she is at it. Even though like Doyle and Angel are still like two men kind of rolling their eyes at her, even though she's way better at this shit than they are. 
right? Yeah, it's it's a weird dynamic because it's like you keep I, I kept remembering like, yes, she's fresh out of high school. Yes, she has a lot of ideas, but like neither of you like wanted to even have a business. Like you guys live in the gutter. Let's like maybe let her take charge and you know, we'll 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 try again if it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> well, and there's always uh, even in her time on Buffy, there's always that um she has the same sort of uh binary personality like seemingly at odds with each other uh aspects to her personality that buffy does i mean in buffy she was created as the sort of shadow self uh version of buffy for the first season or two i think it was yeah um and to that end uh you know the episode where they all get their uh sat scores back and everyone's shocked that cordelia scored well and she's what i have i have layers yeah you know um (laughs) That is all uh, all the way uh, through her entire run. She has that, and I love that 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 she, she has uh, a a a competence that is surprising unless you've watched the show before, but is always surprising to the other characters around her for some reason. She has a real legally blonde quality, which is which I love, which is always a really strong pillar of actual feminism to me, which is like, you think I don't know anything about stuff because it's not stuff you're interested in, but I know a right. lot of things. Right. Or like, <laughs> yeah. just because she like is going to put like effort into her hair and like to dress up nice. It's like, oh, well, then she must be stupid. But like, no. If anything, when you're running the front of an office, it's the (laughs) smartest thing you can do to groom yourself to oil. (laughs) Which I love, too, that she has that parallel with Buffy because of the the relationship those two characters had with each other. Um, And it's it's nice to have that um, kind of naturally carried on to here. Yeah, you know, it actually reminds me of in since where this would be Buffy season four when she's like, when she starts, like, what is it, Goodbye Iowa and the IN team, where she, like, kind of works with the initiative, and they're, like, looking at her, and she's like, oh, I patrolled in this halter lots of times. And, like, yeah. <laughs> she means it, and she, she'll be fine in that outfit, but to them, it's like, ugh. Like, they can't imagine her, like, doing anything How in that outfit. can you get in a fight if you're not wearing camo? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and I will say, like, I feel like that's, like, the kind of feminism I grew up like my mom, although like Puerto Rican women in my family are very that like they're going to wear all their jewelry and their bracelets up to their like elbows, but like also they're cur- they'll curse-, curse you off and have no issue doing it. The strongest women I know from my childhood on Long Island is ha- all had French tips. So go fuck <laughs> yourself. <laughs> um, so Cordelia introduces the business card and we get the little um, angel icon, which I kind of forgot that it's so early on that they second episode and that's kind of yeah. like the logo for angel also fucking duh. It's an angel, right? <laughs> yeah. I noticed that they tried to like have angel cover half of it with his hand and move it really quickly on camera so that we wouldn't get a good look at it and the joke would work and, but still have a good logo. And, um, it's undermined by the fact that it's a really good logo, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not poorly designed enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I feel like if they wanted to go for that joke, it should have been crappier. But I, Cordelia wouldn't make a crappy logo. She just wouldn't. Yeah, she knows logos. <laughs> yeah, like she would either like do it herself or like find someone who could do it. Like copy it. something from Google, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. <laughs> um, we get the first, which I didn't realize till we recorded in episode one. Doyle just talks about visions, but doesn't have one. This is the first time he has one. Um, wow. And Cordelia like lightly slaps him when they're joking about what it could be on the thing. And he gives angel the whatever there's someone in trouble at a club. 
I loved Doyle throwing those cards so theatrically. Yes. <laughs> I was like, this is to get Cordelia's attention. Or, and so that they have to spend time on the floor picking up the cards together. Um, also, I, I noted that um, Angel should definitely get into nightlife. If you're a vampire who can only, like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? And you're trying to maintain some connection to humanity by helping people. Nightlife is the number one place I would recommend you go. Yeah. Like, there should have been a lot more stories where Angel was just at a bar you know, waiting for men to be terrible and then stopping them. That would have been, like, probably the best use of his time, if we're being honest. Um, also, I think Cordelia um, could have benefited from some uh, adult supervision, is what I'm looking for, if she was going to be going out anyway. So I actually think Angel should have gotten into nightlife. I think that was good advice. But that's all I have. <laughs> the, uh, the first episode is supposed to be significant because um, Angel actually fails a client yeah. Um uh the the mm. woman who works at the coffee shop actually ends up being killed by the millionaire vampire. Mm. And it's uh, I this is one of the rare instances I can think of where they have a vision and fail to save the person uh that's in the vision the night of. Um That's true. True. The, the powers that be I think are I mean I've seen videos that argue that they are the biggest big bad in the show uh going all the way to jasmine and so forth but uh, one of the ways is the the win at the end of the first season when the the phantom of the law firm takes the uh the filters off of cordelia's visions and she's invaded and tortured by the constant barrage of suffering that's going on in los angeles you realize that the powers that be are curating all of these filtering them and that there are a whole bunch of other people that are suffering that Angel and company could be helping that the powers that be don't send them visions of. But the other thing, um, the one that I, I was struck by in this is how vague the yeah. vision actually is. It's a flying camera shot of the entire bar. They don't actually hone in on, uh, I mean, it, the metaphor is like, okay, the, villain is actually loneliness itself and that's right. so everyone in the bar is lonely but um uh yeah i don't the, think angel's gonna defeat that this week <laughs> yeah no no not anytime soon yeah um, i mean the i feel like the vision and the like the premise of this episode is very flimsy in general like the villain is if, very if, like one of the writers was like, I have an idea for a movie called it follows. And then they <laughs> made it to the best of their ability and then back pocketed the idea for later. Well, so um, I feel like Ian, I feel like, you know, all the fun facts, but so I don't know if you both know this. I read this and I knew there was some episode of angel that like didn't get made. And it was this episode, the original version. Um, and I found the trivia, D David Fury wrote this episode to replace his original script titled corrupt which also introduced Kate. However, in his version, Kate had a cocaine addiction and worked <laughs> undercover as a sex worker. Wow. And uh, the, the network turn rejected the episode. Like they wouldn't let them do it. <laughs> they were like, we're still the WB. <laughs> right. And like, even reading that, I'm like, that is so much. Like what? That's a lot. Yeah. That has a lot more to do, you know, with some stuff that maybe was happening in personal life at the time right, like. than these characters um <laughs> yeah i don't love i wouldn't have loved if we went in that direction i do wish that you know we maybe a little more grit in our sandwich on angel than we got in some of the adulter storylines but i actually think it would have undermined for me it would have undermined like i would have been so distracted by those elements that yeah. it wouldn't have worked um but you were saying um ian that the 
the idea that the powers that be are the big bad of the whole show. And what's so strong for me with Angel is that it really does follow a model of like, I got a job and I'm going to do what I was told or whatever and I want to mm-hmm. make money into what really comes of adulthood is when you find out that like the powers that be and the senior partners are kind of both using like good or bad quote unquote tools, but for their own purposes. And like totally it's, they're pretty, it's pretty value neutral that their goals to us. And it's the realization, especially in season five, when, you know, they get control of Wolfram and Hart that like, fuck all of this is so like like all of this bullshit is so like corporate and obfuscated and both like it's such garbage like there's actually people that need help and 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 i think it's a good lesson that like i think early in these episodes there's so much emphasis put on the powers that be and so much emphasis put on the visions and stuff and it's you know i i I wish that the show had maybe been even more explicit in those themes and re- and in that regard because I didn't catch all of that the first time around. But then you go back and you rewatch it, and uh, of course they're laying the groundwork where they have these clients that they're going to end up screwing up and failing, and they have to like find their way because they're young people at jobs that that's, what, that's how you screw up, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I didn't really catch. I wish they had been a little more explicit in it, especially if we were going to get stuff like Jasmine where it's like, oh, what's the metaphor? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> right. If it's going to be so heavy handed, let's like do the best ideas in a heavy handed sense. I don't know. But I, I guess that's a lot of pressure to put on the beginning of this episode. But <laughs> I, um, it does make me think about it. <laughs> well, I also think, too, that you run into the problem of of the three of us have know what the finished yeah. piece of art looks like. We know what five seasons completed look like and where all of the ins and the outs were and, and all of that. And none of that existed at this point. None, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm sure they didn't, Jasmine didn't exist. There was no idea for any of that. Um, having heard a couple of the writers talk about the mad scramble that it was to get, um, a script done, you know, Tim Minear said that he was writing, uh, he writes a script in a weekend, sometimes so that they can turn around and uh, get something to the actors to start memorizing and recording on at the beginning of the week. So the, that's fucking crazy. I mean, the (laughs) fact that the shows are as coherent and incredible as they actually are, I think is, is amazing. But yeah, there's, there's going to be a ton of, especially with angel and the giant retcon in season four, there's going to be a ton of stuff. uh, Like you just said, Ryan, I think as we go of just, uh, just a little to the, just this, if they had just gone a little farther here and a little less here, then th- these connections would have been more explicit. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, me complaining about this show is like me being on a luxury cruise and being like, I don't care for whipped cream from a can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's still a great episode, a good show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really, really accurate metaphor, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so they go to the club. Um, Angel has them split up. Angel chats up the bartender. Um, and I love, I love Cordelia immediately is like, business bitch mode like she's like here if you need help call us here if you need help call us here like she's like i I feel like this is all of us on twitter trying to promo ourselves right (laughs) oh she would have thrived in the social media age that (laughs) angel company would have had so many tiktoks just a random woman dancing but millions of views yeah it's like i don't know what this is for but she's really charming (laughs) um and i love the conversation her and doyle have when he's like 
you know, you gotta be more under the radar. And she's like, under what radar? And he's like, the police, they'll like get to the V word. And she's like, vampire? Because that's also what I thought. He's like, no, vigilante. Um, And I like that this is another moment where like, the the characters are like, oh, Cordelia. But it's actually like, no. And she's like, I'm an actress. I can read everyone in this room and then does. <laughs> yeah, I thought that there was maybe there. I, I understand that she's putting down other women in a sense and evaluating them on a very materialist level. Right. But I felt like her being so perceptive was the point of that scene, not like right, anti-feminism. Yes. It was supposed to show that she has a keen understanding of what men are looking for mm-hmm. and that it, it, uh, like her other goals – she she really she, I mean she probably has some hyper focus going on where she <laughs> really does get a comprehensive like next level analysis and understanding of things even if she can't necessarily put it into fifteen dollar words yeah yeah and I I do feel like that kind of sums up Cordelia right like that's like I remember when we would talk a lot about her in the earlier seasons like she's very aware of the like system she has to operate within um and like understands like. Like you said, Ryan, like maybe she was being like derogatory towards some of the women, but it's like she's like, this is what this looks like, and I'm going to tell you what it looks like, and that's just unfortunately the truth. Like the, the reality is, it's yeah. better to be popular in high school and verified on Twitter as irritating as it is <laughs> to the people who aren't. You wouldn't turn it down, and if we're going right. to function within a society and a shitty system, like you know, it's the like I am very smart thing. Like, yeah, we should improve <laughs> society somewhat, but I have an iPhone. I don't know what to tell you, and she seems very much like. If we're going to be living in L.A. and we're going to be vigilantes, like, we might as well succeed at it. What right. would be stupid not to for aesthetic reasons. And it, it's awesome. Um, but I did notice that she did not pick up the most suspicious thing that was actually happening in that club, which was, um, first off, straight people, terrifying. Second, <laughs> um, so many people wearing ties and, like, button downs at the club. And yeah, I was I- like... This is, are we at a post-banking card? Yes. <laughs> I don't have, uh, uh, maybe it was the ADD, but I don't have very many um, articulate thoughts to say about the scene because I was so distracted by the superficial details of <laughs> that the club. club. The club <laughs> is disgusting. <laughs> Someone said there's not a lot of last names in a place like this. And I thought to myself, feels like most of these people introduce themselves as Mr. and Mrs. Last Name first. <laughs> this club is terrible. I was like, there has to be, I've been to LA and there has to be a better club. Go to Akbar. Like, come on. Well, the other thing too is the, the, I, I, a lot of, t- I, it's not often with Buffy and Angel that I feel the, age of the show through the fashion somehow like buffy wearing a leopard uh jacket with a a hood in uh never kill a boy on the first date just makes sense to me for buffy's character but the 90s fat the late 90s fashion that's in this bar specifically you don't see it at wolfram and hart or any of that but I guess like '90s business casual was <laughs> l- l- giant linen parachute pants, oh. and <laughs> everything was so big that all the guys greasy. were wearing. <laughs> yeah, it looks comfortable as hell, but holy <laughs> heck, like it's so dated. The the just specifically the the, the bar sequences look. Yeah, are some of the most dated visual stuff uh, in the series that I can think of. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that because it's just so like even like towards the end when Kate's waiting for Angel, there's a guy that like you think might be shifty who approaches her and like oh, he and the looks hair. like 
Yeah, his hair, and it looks like he has shoulder pads underneath his like blazer. It's just like cartoonish. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was dressed like the Golden Girls, but the Golden Girls looked good. Like- yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it looks like the bad version of all of those things. It, it, like it, it's so camp. Uh, yeah, late '90s camp. Uh, also, the that- most well lit bar I have ever seen yeah. in my life. The, the, I was like- and, and we all have a thing. We all have a thing. And I know that I have a thing with this scene, and it's my problem. When I was in college, I uh, and I'm not kidding when I'm saying any of this. I downloaded a screener copy of The Matrix on Napster, <laughs> and it it was a it was a, it was a version of the film uh, that didn't have all of the final soundtrack put in so it was missing it had all of the classical score but was missing the the rock selections but it was the full movie and so in the lobby sequence shootout sequence there's no sound other than the the bullets because they didn't that is a rock uh a rock tune that's in there but the bar (laughs) scene where um trinity meets neo is dead silent there's no no music and they are shouting over nothing. You can hear <laughs> footfalls in the bar. You can hear uh uh Keanu Reeves and Carrie well, Carrie Ann Moss are shouting yeah, yeah. at each other for no reason and you hear them <laughs> echoing off the back. And that's because when you shoot a bar scene, you want clean audio. Right. So people are dancing to nothing. They're just kind of <laughs> counting a beat and bouncing around and you can one ever since then. Anytime uh, I watch a bar scene, I get so distracted at whether or not the scene was actually shot with the real audio. And you can hear silverware tinking against glass in the sequence. You can hear people's footfalls on the floor. And we've all been to a club, right? You can't hear <laughs> any of that stuff. <laughs> you know that's funny. When we did. Um I did like a mini fake movie trailer for my fiction book that I wrote that never went anywhere. Um, and we like, there was a club scene and bless my straight best friend, Kevin. He like set up in the like rental warehouse. He worked three different scenes. And one of them was the club scene. And when we recorded it, all it was, it was like three, two, one, everyone pretend to dance. And it was dead silence. And it was just like shoes squeaking on the floor. And it was yeah, so it is fucking surreal. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is completely surreal. But it, what's amazing is that if you watch that scene in the matrix, it it's fine because the, yeah. the music's in there and, and you don't have a problem. If you listen carefully, you can still hear footfalls in that sequence. But it, again, I, I own that as, a personal bias that I have uh, because of a little bit of inside baseball, it, just sitting there listening to the, the and you audio can't of that. that I feel like once you've heard it that way. <laughs> yeah. And Cordy lowers her voice as she leans over a table and says, hi, there's no way with that song <laughs> blasting in the background. There's no way. I will say this though. I um I have because I've edited so many hours, like thousands and thousands of hours of podcasting. I can mm-hmm. hear whenever they loop in a line on a reality show or like a network dramas are really bad at it. Um, and I, it, it's a real like pet peeve that I have to actively ignore. And this is such a silly thing, but the looping on Angel and Buffy isn't always perfect. But Charisma Carpenter, you can tell when she loops a line, she's doing the exact same face shape in the same like angle or whatever. <laughs> like she's recreating it really well. And all I can think is like good actress like every time i get so excited and she looped a line in this opening sequence i forget which line it was but she looped it and it was so perfectly matched you could only tell by because i was listening on headphones and i could hear like the audio switch and i was like damn 
damn, this bitch is so good. Like, Jeez, listen, I, I am excited, Ryan, that this, like, us doing this season will be, like, us just standing both Cordelia and Charisma. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so wait, is looping, is that kind of, like, ADR? Is that what that is? Yeah, it's, like, yeah. ADR. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like especially... So Seinfeld is my go-to nighttime show. Like if I'm doing shit and I just want it as background and like, I notice it and I hands up. I still love it. I know it's like a very weird dated straight person show. No, to my love. dad watches four episodes a day. I, I see it all the time. <laughs> um, and like, I always notice it, even if I'm like super stoned and constrained, I'll be like, I'll look and be like, Oh, that's clearly done. Like, it's very obvious. Um, I feel like a lot of earlier shows were like pretty bad at it yeah you can't go back to the early days of reality tv it's fully just a podcast they recorded after the fact with like some shots of people running around a vh1 house it's real so it's so bad also my question is cordelia calls someone a closet deb i tweeted this and uh my former co-host matthew rodriguez said he thinks it's debutante but like what the fuck is a closet debutante i thought closet deb like I guess my mind went to the movie Debs, but that definitely came out after this episode, so I thought it was going to be a lesbian joke. But now that I go back, no, it can't be that. Right. That's what I I thought. I remember when I watched this with my ex tweeting, like, I think Cordelia says something homophobic because I thought it was like a lesbian comment, but but like she does say Debs. Debutante makes more sense. It does. But I don't, I still don't really know like closet debutante. I don't know. Is that a thing? Yeah, I don't know that. I don't know that one by context either. Yeah, maybe it's I, just some shit Joss Whedon made up. Right. And they yeah. Were like, I guess we have to put it in. Because <laughs> when I when I looked up, some websites have it quoted as her saying "closet dud," but that makes less sense because, like, the fuck is that? Uh, I don't she know. She also makes fun of a dude's lazy eye. <laughs> That's uh, true. Yeah, that, that joke works, works a little better, but it's still a thing. Uh, the <laughs> the thing is, as her being kind of the outspoken alpha and i yeah. mean we'll, we'll get to room with a view where she <laughs> she embraces that aspect part of her so personality good. she gets i noticed the lion's share of those lines that have aged poorly yeah um, that's true that 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 you know feel the most like a uh, a 20 year old show she she drops the ableist r-bomb a yeah. couple of times yeah. Uh, yeah, in the does. next couple of episodes and every those every one of those is uh uh, a cringe hard enough to break bones for me when I hear yeah. that. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just funny how you know the culture shifts. Um, yeah. she say, was watching a lot of Will and Grace at the time. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. They say uh, progressivism is a sliding scale, and yeah. we have slid a little bit past some of it for sure. <laughs> well, you know, I do notice the especially with Buffy and Angel. Buffy more so, I think, has less of that, but I'm sure it, I know it's still in there. But it's funny because like. I'm sure you get this too, Ian, right? Sometimes when we do that on the podcast, people like will be like, oh, well, it was so many years ago. It's like, no, I know. That's fine. I still love the yeah. show. I'm just- No, I mean, oh, we, totally. have to talk, we have to talk yeah. about it. That's one of the things that uh, like culture criticism, culture conversations are just kind of part of the thing about celebrating is acknowledging the things that have aged poorly so that yeah. we can refocus on the things that we love. Right. You know, yeah. as opposed to, um, I, I don't believe in chucking anything away because- uh, nothing becomes dated beyond repair at anything. Mm. It's, it's, it's a um, artifact of its time that we can look at through that lens as well. Especially when something is made in earnest with like, not necessarily good intent, like good intentions, good faith, but like, not that that makes up for anything that happens, but it it, it makes it worth interpreting. It's not worth my time to read media that it's intentionally mean, intentionally racist, intentionally dated that. Why would I even spend time on that? There's so many things in the world, but 
if something is done in earnest, in good faith, it's worth noting because we should compare it to things we're doing now. There are words I use all the time that I know the etymology is bad, but they're so commonly used and it seems so unlikely that anyone would get upset. But I know I should probably work harder at taking words like, like say, dumb. I think that's dumb. I probably said that a whole bunch of times in this episode already. That's a word that I probably shouldn't be using. And now that I'm saying it out loud, you know, please, <laughs> listeners, make me stick to it. But like, you know, we, we we can do better. And it's good to look back and be like, oh, yeah, we were all saying the R word. Like, we mm-hmm. all yeah, thought that was oh, a yeah, totally yeah. normal word to say. Yeah. Um. And, and and so, yeah, it's not a judgment as much as it is or or me trying to, like, gotcha somebody. Right. Yeah, somebody, yeah. You know, it, is an inter- but, it is an interesting question, though. I mean, yeah, are, totally. are there are there shows from older eras that have aged enough that they're they're no longer watchable for you? Hmm. I, I mean, like I, like, I have one that like immediately comes to mind for me. <laughs> What is it? You what know, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I mean, as shows that I grew up with uh, of any particular era, like Friends, I watched yeah. every episode of Friends and I did um, several rewatches of Friends. And that was the thing that uh, I was in high school at the time. That was the thing we were all talking about was right, yeah. uh, Ross and Rachel were cultural phenomenon. And now... Um, when I go back and watch friends and all of the fat jokes and all of Chandler's gay jokes and all of those things, um, you know, and the, um, the, the gay panic, there's so many gay panic jokes. I mean, it it is of people of color in a New York city. That is like, yeah. So out, like it is so, so so comically wealthy, and there's no black people, and you're like, this is like uncanny valley. It's hard to yeah. watch for too long. Yeah, but I still love Friends. There's things in Friends that I that I think are worth discussing and knowing. You know. Yeah, yeah, but but that that's an example of a show that that I struggle to rewatch without noticing those things anymore. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like uh, I would say, so, and I don't say this to be like, oh, I never went, but like I, I never got that into Friends. Um, but for me, The Office and Will and Grace are two shows that like I still like think of as like I still look upon lovingly. But like when I revisit, there's always shit that I'm like, Ugh. like yeah, there's I a mean, whole separate pod to be done right, about the yeah, politics yeah. of Tina Fey. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we could do it, but I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but okay, so getting back to the God. Anyway. Like, <laughs> um, where are we in the episode? Um, so we were having that uh, conversation about... Uh, uh, oh, right. Angel was was was, uh, was supposed to be flirting with Kate. And, um, you know, he, he could have probably gotten a lot farther if he would just drop the whole fucking thing and talk to people like a human being. Right. So, um, wait, I do, before we get to that, though, I want to... I love that, like, so we cut from... Cordelia gives her a monologue, and then she's like, how's Angel doing? And then we cut to him being like, seriously, I wasn't hitting on you to a guy. And I'm like, okay, I appreciate that. Cause I, I like, it's not played for like a, a gay panic. It's more just like angels, just awkward. And it's like, Oh, the guy thought he was hitting on him. And I kind of, oh, I think he definitely was hitting on that guy and it didn't go well. <laughs> so he said that, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, then we get to the Kate stuff and like, 
Ryan, right, like exactly what you just said. I'm like, why are they talking at each other like this? They're talking at each other like they're in separate movies in separate genres (laughs) by separate people. Like, it's so weird. Also, Kate has such a promising character for Angel to get to know, but they ruined it by making her talk only in bizarre riddles and being (laughs) a cop. Why did they do that? She's a cool actress who I love her vibe. The idea of the character is pretty great. Angel should have a human woman that he's like can work with in some capacity have a healthy version of the relationship with Buffy like or try for one right. you know like come on and, and immediately she's like I'm a cop and you're not going to understand anything I say and it's like why are we doing this and she's so annoyingly like once we get the like reveal and like her character never stops being this way she's like so weirdly like I don't even know what word I'm looking for. It's just like, she seems like everything Angel says, she's like, uh-uh, I don't believe you. And then he like wins her trust. And then the next time we see her, she's like, uh-uh, I don't believe you again. And I'm just like, Ugh, If someone like, talked to me, not even the way she was speaking, but just said the things she meant, which is like, I have trust issues. My father's a mess. I hate you and sight or whatever. I'd be like, okay, have a fun night and walk <laughs> and talk to the next person. You know what I mean? Like Angel, uh, he, 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 he carried and followed through and he did all, whatever, but he seemed to still, by the end of the conversation, not have an understanding that this person's really delicate and asking a lot of you and you're going to have to do it. You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah. He was like, why are you being weird? I don't know. It, the, the whole thing was weird to me. It seemed clunkily written and um, it just seemed like a scene that they made to get to them knowing each other already. Yeah. And like, she even has the quote where she's like, I, he says something about like being too self-deprecating or whatever. And she's like, I'm a, a self-flagellating hypocrite slut. And I was like, what? Like... Also, but she does say at one point, I guess hi- slut is better than hypocrite. And I wanted right. to scream at her like, yes, slut is a good thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about? Whatever also, you want, girl. <laughs> that line comes on the heels of her saying, uh, I'm probably only talking this much because of the number of daiquiris I've had. And I have to admit, I've never identified with Kate more. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It all does add up a little bit more if you think of it as like a daiquiri fuel. <laughs> a daiquiri-induced, self-flagellating hypocrite slut. Man, how did I not identify with Kate Harder earlier in the show? <laughs> it, it is worrying to know that she's armed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ryan, I didn't even think about that. God, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, recently, won a customer that I love so much, but she's definitely like, if we were more than surface discussion, I would probably, we would not get along. Um, mm. She's like this like very nice older woman. She's always sweet to me. She told me there was like a restaurant she recommended to me. And I was like, oh, I've been meaning to try it. And she went, you know, well, a lot of people go in there and a lot of officers and they have their guns on them. So you feel safe. And I said, that doesn't make me feel safe. (laughs) She's like, like, you can sit by all these nuclear warheads. It's so safe because you could use one if you needed to. (laughs) What are you talking about? After a few daiquiris, it'll be fine. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So then we get uh, Cordelia and Doyle. We keep like cutting between them and Kate and Angel. But so this, like, bro comes up to, like, hit on her, and I do like that Cordelia is very much like, shut up, Doyle, I can handle this myself. I'm not with you. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, no, we don't need that excuse, I just don't want this man hitting on me, and she's, like, has no problem, like, getting in the guy's face, because it's Cordelia, and that's why we love her, um... And then Doyle, like, gets into a fight with the guy, Angel joins in, and I will say I felt some kind of way, um... 
as as the as the one in a crowd who sometimes gets the overlooking, I was like, God, I really like Doyle. When the girl's like, Oh my god, are you okay? And then just rushes to Angel and blows right by Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Oh fuck. Um It is a little bit of an out of left field action sequence. And it makes me wonder if there was some kind of mandate. You know, oh, yeah, like there has to be. There must be this many fist fights to ride, you know, or or whatever. Like the the action sequence at the end with the actual monster makes sense to me. This one is so out of left field. Just the two random dudes coming up and Doyle starting a fight in the bar, which is fine. And I guess it kind of works, but it, it, you know, and having... Uh, the context of the rest of the series. It just is such an unmotivated them actually fighting just drunken uh, dude right. at a bar. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's it, in a bubble. It's a very bizarre fight sequence for the show. Yeah, it is a weird and it, 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 it's not even like they end up playing it for like now Cordelia is so impressed with him or like now it led this no. person to make a choice. It's just yeah. a completely one-off weird thing. Kind of like when they they'll do like extra driving sequences on shows about like detectives with amazing eyesight or something. They'll do like lots of driving sequences, and it's because I read somewhere that like a lot of older people just like really respond to car scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could see that. <laughs> um. So we we they you're right. That fight is just like not doesn't matter. They just Kate walks out. It is she irrelevant. Get, right. Completely irrelevant. Kate walks out because she gets jealous. Although, like, looking back retroactively, I'm like, was she not? Je- I don't understand. I don't know. Because she says she was, like, following him. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I do. So then we cut back to them, like, they're back. And I do like Angel saying the socialized thing is br- socializing thing is brutal because that's me now after, like, one night out. Like, after <laughs> our live show, I was dead, right? <laughs> that's That's me doing anything on Twitter or having to interact <laughs> with followers is, yeah. <laughs> Listen, after our last live show, I think Ryan texted me at like 4 p.m. And I was like, I'm stoned sitting in the dark watching happy endings. And you were like, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, I woke up that next day and it was not daytime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so then we get, uh, oh, so the woman that Cordelia called like Sarah Plain and Tall. Um, she, uh, we see that woman going home with the guy and then the like gag is it's like a transfer demon which i don't know if any of you watch deep space nine but all i could think of was like the trill for like jedzia dax she has that thing inside of her um mm-hmm. <laughs> I, my uh, biggest fear in the world is parasites so when this I, when i was reminded <laughs> what was going on here i was like oh good <laughs> it's, well, I, it, I was surprised that the show didn't take the opportunity to um pull a buffy you know, uh, Darla and that dude breaking in through the window yeah. of the the science um, room in Sunnydale High. And then, oh, my God, Darla's actually the monster. But they set up uh, a number of reasons for you to think. I mean, because they're playing on the cliche. They're subverting a trope. And I was surprised that at the end of the cold teaser when the dude is saying, man, I hate places like these. And she looks away and his face goes cold and he looks around the bar. I was surprised that they didn't make the monster her anyway. Yeah. She spoons him. And uh, it seems like a missed opportunity for me to me um, to sort of not only comment on, you know, predators in those sorts of situations, but um, the monster of loneliness or whatever, because obviously 
they're doing a case of the week detective show csi whatever uh flavor in a fantasy realm at this point and you know it just it, it would have been so on brand for mutant enemy to have her be the bad guy in that actual scene and kills him it's similar to when she becomes like taken over by the parasite demon and is back at the club she's all vamped out and she's like all like sexed up her hair is bigger she's got more makeup on a sexier outfit she's confident she's doing eye contact body language stuff like it's it's good it's a transformation and and it's palpable you can tell it's not her but what bothered me was i was like but that's exactly what i would expect a sex demon to like dress and do like what would be more cool is if you didn't need any of that because you actually don't to seduce somebody like that stuff helps you get in the mindset it's not usually what ends up being the thing that seduces somebody else um and i i thought that would have been interesting but then i was like i guess they just figured they don't have time but like buffy always found the time to do stuff like that so but you know it's these early episodes that i think they're also like finding their footing yeah yeah for sure for sure i think almost every criticism that we could levy against it is can be dismissed for that reason yeah you're right it's just you know they're finding that finding the voice early on yeah so we we see that and then we see the we cut to the gang doing their investigation thing. They learn that one of the women, like a woman had left the bar and hasn't been seen for a while, blah, blah, blah. Those um, are running those, those scenes boring as they are, are definitely a running. Um, we need a Giles moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the, uh, it, it, the first episode is angel in the library doing research and then them using Netscape navigator, uh, and just out of curiosity, I paused. They're they're looking at searchcenter.org, center spelled C-E-N-T-R-E dot org <laughs> as their search engine uh, for that bit. And no, that site doesn't actually exist, but uh, I was just curious. Well, they eventually they established Demons, Demons, Demons as the site, which I think yes. for a minute was a real site, wasn't it? I think. Oh, I didn't okay. know that was a real site. I because I, I know in like season seven, Cassie's website was a real website for a while. That they wow, visit. I didn't know that. Yeah. I wish, oh, now I got to go on the way back machine. I used to like visit it every once in a while just to make sure it was still there. But when last time I checked for that recording, it was not there anymore. Um, we should snipe the URL. We should <laughs> <laughs> make it Slayerfest homepage. <laughs> um, so like Cordelia asks Angel where he's going, and he says to the bar to meet a killer. Um, Angel runs into Kate, which I thought was like right outside of Angel Investigations, but he was right by the bar. Um, that like this interaction kind of sums up every interaction they have. I feel like until she leaves, where she's like, "Well, you can buy me a drink, and we have a fresh start." And then he's like, "Don't go into the bar; it's dangerous." And she's like, "Go to hell!" And he's like, "I've already been there." Like that feels very like that's every interaction they have, where they're like, "No, we're good." Wait, no, I hate you again, <laughs> and it's. It's like they even have the same talk at the end when she's like, we can start fresh and I'm going to tell you why I entered your building illegally. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I don't fucking care. It's very tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we do have the the scene of uh, Cordy saying demons. Is there anything more disgusting? I thought, well, angels part demon. Right. I put that in my notes. It's like very weird because it's like, but she has seen demons that aren't slime aside and gross and whatever, right? Like, yeah, the conflict for the will they or won't they, which I was surprised that they were doing already. Yeah. Uh, this early on um, is so it's a false conflict because 
Cordy would, Cordy doesn't care. And I mean, that's ultimately the reveal, but the problem is that we who have followed her for three seasons on the other show already know that Cordy wouldn't really give a crap, you know, especially Mm -hmm. like her being like, Oh, they're all gross. But like, she would know, like, I, you know, she called angel like salty goodness in Buffy. So like, she knows that there are demons that aren't ugly. And like, I feel like Cordelia is very much a, like, if they're hot, it's fine. Like, you know what I mean? She's open-minded. Yeah. But also she, you know, she's a, uh, listen, as a former popular high school bitch, sometimes it's fun <laughs> to just be a bitch. <laughs> and maybe she's going through these things and she's like, let's bully these old books. <laughs> <laughs> bully these old books. <laughs> um, so he does, what, Angel does get the information on uh, the quote-unquote Sarah Plain and Tall from the bartender, or no, not from the bartender, from whatever that guy is that's just, like, looking for his friend. He knows her last name. And I do like, because I had been thinking, God, they're really laying it on thick for this poor woman that, like, oh, she's ugly when she's, like, clearly not. And they're like, oh, she's so, oh, he went home with her? Yeah, but I and this do- is the time period where absolutely everyone cast in the episode is, like, the top yeah. one half of 1% of you know, Los Angeles beauty. (laughs) And we're supposed Uh, to believe they're like not good looking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's so ridiculous. But I do like that. At least we get the little thing of like, after that guy's like ragging on her, like, Ooh, she's bottom of the barrel. Then he's like, Oh, I know her last name. Cause I hit on her a bunch and she turned me down. I appreciated it. At least we went to like, Oh, he's just being an, like that's like on purpose that he's just being an asshole. Um, cause that like makes more sense. Whatever. Angel gets the apartment, the, the, the parasite thingy is already transferred. Um, this is a better fight. This is maybe the best fight of yeah. the episode. Um, mm-hmm. And I did read a weird, uh, like fun trivia about it. They put a lot of work into the stunt here. Um, David Boreanaz's stunt double, Mike Massa said the scene in which he's tossed across the room upside down was his favorite stunt of the season to get. I don't really know what this is, but to get the effect, he was shot across the room using an air ram. Does anyone know what that is? Because I don't know what that is. No idea. But it says, his quote is, the reason I like it so much is because it really knocked the heck out of me. It was 900 pounds of thrust on the air ram. I had to hit the corner just right. If I was off, if I hit dead center of the corner with my shoulders, it could have broken a collarbone. I had to hit it sideways, my back flat to the wall, and kind of skip into it. But it just pile drove me right to the corner. Oh, right? yeah, unfortunately, like wild. too, I believe that fight is the one where you can see one yep. of the cameramen. Yep. <laughs> I did. I did make a note. I said, I saw a camera. Because <laughs> I it's okay. I'll blackmail Bob Chapek at some point. <laughs> That's one of the most more egregious. Uh, there's the cast and crew. I mean, a lot of times you'll catch a light or a mic or whatever, but to see a full on crew Person. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty good. That's also the heaviest thumping of the episodes theme uh you have to stop the monster says i will when i find the right one the one i can stay with and i wrote in giant letters metaphor (laughs) um but this one is so mixed up with loneliness and intimacy versus sexual intimacy versus using up people going through relationships validating yourself through connection instead of making the choice to be alone angel style i mean it's supposed to reflect the part of the journey that angel's on which is that maybe he doesn't need Buffy to be complete and be himself, but maybe he just still needs people around him and whatever. So the metaphors in that scene, but I definitely think um, it's a little blurry and I have weird uh, 
memories of listening to David Fury talk about starting Angel and specifically that he never worked on a show that emphasized theme as much as Joss's shows do, that you had to have the metaphor monster and whatever. And the way he talked about it, I interpreted a, a little bit of um, resentment's the wrong word, but wishing that he didn't have that, that every episode didn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. And so I, uh, with his, um, the themes in his episodes to me feel a little more I, uh, clunky. I think that he is probably uh, my second favorite writer behind Jane Espenson on Buffy. Oh, okay. Uh, in terms of just like, I mean, I I don't count Joss's episodes because they uh, uh, are steeped in the budget, the most amount of time, the most investment of every resource they have. Right. And so, all so the it, writers, you know, are bringing their A game to bring to show to Josh for, Josh for his episode. Yeah. 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 So that's not a fair, it's not a fair comparison to compare once more with feeling to, um, yeah. You know, uh, bad eggs or, right. <laughs> uh, 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 band candy, but band candy is an incredible episode of Buffy. But in terms of just, you know, the non Josh writers, I, I think David's episodes like fear itself are delightful, but even fear itself, the metaphor is uh, the metaphor being clunky in fear itself w- actually works really well. The it idea does. that fear yeah. is a tiny little fear demon, uh, <laughs> is a wonderful payoff, but, yeah, the loneliness demon here. I was like, is it supposed to be an STD? Right. Is it loneliness I itself? <laughs> I was yeah. like, is this an HIV thing? Because God. Uh, these are some bad takes. He's like, stop sleeping with people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's another like uh, the one frustrating thing about both shows is like as uh, progressive as the shows can be, uh, sometimes the especially like Buffy season two, you know, it gets into sex paranoia. There's not yeah. a ton of sex positivity. Yeah. And that's why whenever there is like Anya and Xander, I get really happy about it. Um, right. You know, you know, I think about that too, because you're right. Anya and Xander are like the only sex positive couple, but then when Angel does lose his soul, Giles of all people is pretty like, she's like, you loved him. I don't care. Like, I'm not going to judge you. Like, for yeah, doing there are this. a couple of nice, bits like that and i don't think they were intending to do yeah um cautionary abstinence tales i think they were trying to subvert them but by making the trigger uh in season two buffy and angel sleeping together which it wasn't really it was his perfect happiness and he actually turns in the bliss the post-coital bliss afterwards Mm -hmm. but um but it's easy to misinterpret and mm-hmm. even the characters misinterpret it and, and are confused about whether it's sex or not for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Buffy, especially in season four, I remember talking about that on the podcast and like going back and forth between, are we writing like cautionary tales about sex or like, does that make it just, it also makes sense with a character who had a really bad first time that they might be more hesitant to have casual sex than yeah. like someone else because their first time was like fucking terrible. Right. So like, I could see why someone like that would be like, I don't know. As opposed yeah, to someone, only, you know, the only couple that I think of as particularly sex positive are Xander and Anya to me, Tara and Willow kind of get eliminated because it's in metaphor most yeah, of the time yeah, instead yeah. of literal. I mean, I love Tara and Willow and I love that that exists. And I know what that, uh, why that was huge at the time. But it's so frustrating now um, that 
you know, the hottest sex scene on the show is a magic spell to try and, uh, you know, right. it's the orgasm spell in season four. Um, <laughs> as opposed to just like, you know, I mean, you know, it, it, it is what it is, but it, it, I think it's tough to say that, that they were very sex positive when even you make me the joke, you make me come <laughs> pleat, <laughs> you know, needed to be a joke instead right. of, you know, uh, just their relationship was what it was. And it was normalized in any of that. Right. Instead of being like, cause like, you know, it's a loving couple and they'd be like, my baby lays me down and I love it. Like, that's fine. Yeah. So the hottest sex scene in the show is when Buffy and Spike took that house. Down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But again, that was, uh, that was Buffy was, um, that was masochism. I mean, like the, the totally. way the arc, the, that arc goes is she's um, using yeah. Spike to feel anything. Yeah, uh, because yeah. she's uh, de- dealing with depression, numbing depression on a level that she can't feel her own life, but she feels something from him, even though it's it's dark and negative. So again, it's like the sex is this uh, negative thing. I agree. I forgot about that scene. That sequence is super hot. But <laughs> yeah. um, again, I just wish there was just a little bit more of just you know, yeah, uh, especially on Angel. Like it just felt yeah. like. It just felt like the show was setting us up for it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's not till season five with uh, the werewolf. I mean, even Wes and Lila have a, have a nice, hot, sweaty sequence, but the two of them are like right. hitting bottom together, you know, is, yeah. is, is what that sequence is supposed to be about. So. Yeah, I actually and when Wes in that scene has a woman in the closet. So yeah, uh, I, there is that. I love that season three, right? I think that's the beginning of season four where that sequence takes place. But, does it, I, but it, their relationships is a start. In, maybe it doesn't start in season. Maybe three. It does, uh, yeah. Because it's Justine that's in the closet, isn't it? Yeah. It's Justine in the closet. Yeah. And I think we, they leave her in season three, I think. Um, but I could be wrong, but even though I fucking hate, I actually hate the West Lila dynamic. Like I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I'm wondering <laughs> what I'll think revisiting it for the podcast. Cause sometimes I change my mind if I have to like take notes when I'm watching. Um, but I love everything anyway, where, where we are very uh, sidetracked. Yeah. Kate comes in with her gun. We get the reveal that she's a cop. She's been tracking angel and she comes in just in time to see the person has disappeared. And it's just angel in this dead body and angel. I do like when he's like, I'm sorry. And she's like, you admitted it? And he's like, not for that. And he does that like backwards kick to her butt and like knocks her <laughs> over and then leaps out a window, rolls on a car and then runs away. <laughs> well, first he spreads his arms and let, can I say the way that he spreads is so faggy <laughs> and it made me wonder how he would spread his legs. And then I knew exactly how he would spread his legs <laughs> right in the air. <laughs> <laughs> straight up like a like some kind of circus performer um he it was very funny to me and also i did not understand why he spread because he's like not gonna get in the handcuffs right. so like what are we doing here he's just like yeah rub up against my back <laughs> <laughs> and like it's just such a dramatic angel's a drama queen i mean he, he is, is, he is. He, uh, you know he's a drama queen throughout <laughs> the entire show uh, like is. that so the big old swan dive to me feels nice in character. <laughs> Theater kid shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then we cut to Doyle and Cordelia arriving at her apartment. I wanted to ask both of you, do we think, because I know they make, they're like, it's so annoying. They're like, this is your apartment. Ew. Um, 
it kind of looks like the same set, just like messied up as like what her new apartment is, doesn't it? I did not notice that, but I did notice that they make it so comically disgusting that, like, the city of Los Angeles, as useless as it can be, would have come in and been like, no, you're not allowed to live here because you'll make COVID. (laughs) It's so disgusting. (laughs) You'll make COVID. I do love the line of Cordelia when she's like, that is so high school. Ooh, Cordelia wears bras. She has girl parts. Like, I love her doing that because that's like... Because, like, also, don't fucking touch her bra, Doyle. Like, yeah, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is having lived in a city, having lived in San Francisco and been to LA and all of that, like, uh, none of these people could afford to live there without a roommate. Right. You know, that, you want to not live yeah. in, you, you want to not live in a, a, a roach infested, uh, uh, bad part of town. You have roommates. And right. I think Cordy would know people who moved to LA and would want to be roommates. It would be more believable if Cordy moved in and was six months late on rent and just like making cool excuses to her super rich friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, because also I feel like Cordelia wouldn't, she would, like you said, Ian, she would very much, she wouldn't abide by filth. She would be like, okay, I have to get roommate. All right. Like, like filth would gross her out, right? Like that wouldn't track for her. Um, but I get that they want to give right. all of them really meager beginnings so that by the time we get – and not, not that they knew this is where they were going. But, of course, as they got older, we ended up living in a hotel that we were renovating. And, like, right. that's, you know, closer to the millennial experience. <laughs> yeah, she needs an arc. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. they all needed to start from a particular place. But and, and I almost feel like this is because they want to give us room with a view. So it's like when she does, yeah. then, like – and, I mean, I I think a lot about – how accurate especially like now as an adult i'm like yes oh there's a harmless ghost that's fine this apartment is very nice (laughs) (laughs) it's like controlled (laughs) yeah (laughs) you can die wherever you want it's not my problem (laughs) all right that's fine you want to watch me while i poop and shower great go ahead (laughs) (laughs) um so then angel arrives even angel makes a weird comment about that um this is where you live yeah you have slept (laughs) in Gutters, you have uh, you slept in you slept in uh horse crap with Darla before <laughs> uh, the barn got set on fire. Like, come on now. <laughs> um and I do like the bit before she invites him in when she's like, You have to promise you're not gonna go evil and kill people again. I was like, see, she's she remembers, like she's not letting that all go. <laughs> uh, she all yeah, she always, always remembers. The the one of the, the things I love about Angel's friendships and connections is that every one of his friends tacitly agrees that they'll kill him dead if he goes evil. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's, it's this, it's this, I, um, I heard a great, uh, I host a, uh, uh, a hangout for subscribers of my own at times and, and a subscriber brought up and we all had a wonderful exchange about Cordelia is if Angel has a recovering alcoholic metaphor, then Cordelia is the person who loves the alcoholic but remembers them before they quit, mm. right? Yeah, and, and wow. Th- there is, and it's really powerful there when to think of it that way. There is a constant undercurrent of remembering the abuse that she suffered at the hand of the uh, the alcoholic before he got sober, mm. and she loves him and chooses to be around him, but is competent and smart and is you know, human and on her guard for the relapse ever to occur again. 
Um, yeah. and, and, you know, as a, uh, I, I've been sober for two years. So, uh, you know, I, that putting things in that, uh, framework for Cordelia and the idea of, um, loving an abuser, you mm. know, which, uh, alcoholism can often a- end up in those, in that space was, is a really powerful way to, I think, to, to kind of interpret, her keeping holy water in a water bottle under her desk, or at the very least knowing that, uh, to tell, um, angel that in eternity, you know, because she has dealt with this before. And so always has the out and always knows like where the back door is just in case. But I do love that angel always, uh, keeps at the top of his list. Like his friends need to know and be willing to kill him and then he can trust them. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's it's like Batman, you know, he has like, <laughs> all those plans to kill all his right. friends and he's like made sure that they have plans to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Ian, I think I didn't know this was possible, but I feel like you're you talking about that made me love Cordelia even more because it just <laughs> like it drives home how fucking smart she is. Right. Yeah, like she's brilliant. She's like, and yeah, it, and, you're my friend and, and, and I love and you. But wrong. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And like there's nothing wrong with being like, I, you are my friend. I do love you, but I am still like just in case. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, no, you know, he didn't murder her computer teacher. Like, you know, it it is your Giles. It's the hardest thing to be like, I'm going to also not be in denial about this because denial, you you have to know. Yeah. Yeah. You have to know that you're going to do it in in order to preemptively inoculate yourself against being in denial, which is such a like, it, it it just speaks to a real strength of character. You forgive, but you never forget. I think, yeah. and and that's the um, you know, if if a person is actually seeking amends and trying to be better and working on themselves, like you have that choice to forgive. But we as people never forget, and I love seeing that uh, journey for her in the background, especially in these early seasons. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, and like. The wild thing is that it's she feels so underwritten this season, but like you're right, that shit still is there with her. And like even the little like I think it's more than maybe not underwritten, underused is the correct term because like she's yeah. not in it as she's much. She's the most interesting character yeah. on the show. I mean, you know, uh I love I, I'm I'm a big fan of I mean, if there's one thing we didn't need, it's another boring old white guy tragedy fall tale and that's what wes is is he's but i'm a sucker for shakespeare and wes's uh tragedy in the later seasons is incredibly shakespearean but cordy's the most vivid vibrant interesting character in in the series um and she's the least and, central and i don't to think it's close early plot. yeah 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 and like also, Ian, don't don't call Wes old. I'm pretty sure he's probably younger than me when this <laughs> season. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, I, I'm definitely uh, I'm the, the the old boring white guy for sure. So, uh, so I'm older than a lot of older people I know. <laughs> <laughs> at work the other day, one of my um, youth coworkers, who I adore so much, was like, "Oh, I made an, a joke to one of the new folks uh, that you're like 40, but you look so good for your age." And I forgot that was an exaggeration. I was like, "That's only an exaggeration by like nine months. That's not really." That much of an exaggeration <laughs> <laughs> fuck <laughs> um so that's when we get the awful fucking rock montage <laughs> where like yeah they're investigating angels going through the like bar and we see kate investigating angel investigations and 
it's very of the time. <sighs> yeah, I'm glad it, we it, didn't make a habit out of these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it uh it's the most like the Lost Boys that either of the two shows have ever felt. I don't, I don't know if you've either, both seen the Lost Boys, but for me that's yeah formative vampire fiction you know uh yeah. an incredibly pop culture and of its time and uh yeah when you get the that's a very famous tune and when i posted the video i uh had a hundred comments telling me what it was and of course i forgot it because i have no memory for uh that kind of thing but yeah it's so gothic and you get the the long cross dissolves between shots yeah um you know they're doing they're all the, telegraphing what they're doing like holding up giant like like uh what are those magnifying glasses to show they're looking <laughs> at clues and stuff yeah <laughs> i think um, there's another one of those in in uh somnambulist those the, the, uh, the two uh montage research heavy music bits that stand out to me in the first season are this one and there's one in sam Nam- some ambulance that is so noir detective ian is that how you say uh, that word out loud noir no no <laughs> the, the wesley episode <laughs> oh some uh i i i think in my actually i don't think i've said it out loud i think i say somnibulist and I just uh, realizing I've never heard someone well, say that. The loud. British pronunciation, obviously. <laughs> right, right. I may have I, I I can't say for sure. It is the way that I've been saying it since I reviewed the episode. Um and and generally when there's a word I struggle with, I look up pronunciations for it, and I may have done that for that. Or I've been saying it wrong this entire time. Let's make sure we find figure that out when we get to the episode. Listen, I... The great, I have, the great thing is Buffy fans are forgiving, and it won't come up again in your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll never hear that comment again. Actually, uh, that's a great point. If I had been mispronouncing that, I someone would guess yeah. that someone would leave a comment uh, on the video letting me know. Yeah. I think that video has... 50 or 60,000 views now. So de- I definitely listen, would have heard. Listen, don't fucking flex on my podcast. And make I, I, me I, jealous. I, 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 I didn't get the break. <laughs> Did it on him. Did it on him. <laughs> I'm like, Slayer Fest last YouTube video has 100 views. <laughs> um, but so we get that montage and then we get Kate. Uh, she gets a call from Angel. He wants to work with her. She again is being very, uh, 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 I don't trust you. Um, but she does go to the <sighs> bar. She is ambushed by the bartender who's like, oh, I saw Angel. And I like that he says he looks like he's about to rabbit because I don't think I've heard people use that. But like, I get what it is. And I kind of like that slang. Um, it's interesting. Buffy created its own yeah. vernacular. Um, and I wonder if they were playing with some of that for, uh, for yeah. Angel, seeing if they could create the kind of the detective shorthand uh, the same way Buffy did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get the vibe that the writers were a little bit, they wanted a little bit more of the like his girl Friday style, like, and then I said to her, I says, and then he says to me, and then we said, and then like back and <laughs> forth, like shotgun dialogue. Um, and that Cordelia was very capable of it, and no one on the show was, so they stopped doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, she gets ambushed by the bartender, he brings her in the back, knocks her out, but then Angel immediately appears. Is- it's fine. He's there. He has the big fight. Um, I did like that plank to the head is the most slapsticky, <laughs> right? 
bit when he hits him in the face with the plank right there i actually uh laughed out loud this time and i must have seen that this episode a dozen times it's funny the stuff you notice every time see ian i was gonna say i actually laughed out loud when the guy like throws kate and angel into each other and then they tumble down a staircase (laughs) (laughs) like that feels like looney tunes um because it's like Where'd that? Oh, now there's a staircase. Now they're just falling down it. Okay, sure. Um, the the my biggest issue is that the conceit of the episode, which I know is like, oh, this demon's doing it out of loneliness, but like we don't. It feels very like oftentimes in Buffy and Angel, which I don't mind when the like demony plot is besides the point, but it also doesn't feel like there's a other plot. Like this is the main plot. Kate and Angel are investigating it. It feels yeah, besides no the point, but there's like, wh- okay, then what's the main? You know what I mean? Like that's still the main story even though it feels very and eh, whatever right and it's tough because our bad guy is sort of absent because it keeps being subbed in by different actors right. just acting off crazy or whatever and so it, it feels really hollow because it's there's only one story happening that everyone's involved in and we don't even really have like a compelling bad guy but it does speak to the fact that they had so many other things they wanted to get in place for the show that I was distracted from that until I, the episode was over. And I was like, what was that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they end up getting out of there. Angel kind of chases the bartender, lights him on fire. Kate shoots him dead. There we go. Top his head off, uh, you've got all three. Patrick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a strange, uh, I mean, unless she fully believes in, demons at this point which it's not said uh, we're not led to believe that she does yeah her as a cop shooting the person on fire rather than trying oh, to put him out so it, it detracts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is uh yikes <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. bit of a yikes moment i mean she is <laughs> consistently a very bad police officer and detective oh throughout. yeah Horribly dangerous that they let her keep that job for as long as they did. (laughs) That was a real miscalculation on the part of the LAPD. Whenever Um, the whenever the writer, uh, I I think both shows struggle a little bit with uh, a feeling of authenticity whenever they get outside of their wheelhouse. And Kate has a just a hint of that where uh, they Mm -hmm. they know all the tropes and cliches, but not enough to subvert them maybe or to to, to do anything with them um riley and the initiative wow is there zero authenticity to any of that (laughs) you know when it's like if you described these these government functions to a gay person and then they tried to redo it (laughs) like they tried to like make it happen like if you described a library to a gay person it would be very different It's me like and you the being cops like, are just a gang of guys that hang out and drink and they're Irish together <laughs> and sometimes they get real upset about a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me and you doing the initiative. Yeah, that'd be really cute. Put some tinfoil. <laughs> We're like, yeah, let's make it all out of plexiglass. It's going to look like an Apple store. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not at all anti-trope. Like uh, the, both shows are super tropey. Um, it's, but but what are you doing with the trope? Right. Are you subverting it? it yeah. uh, how is this? Are you transitioning a, away from it? Like when does a trope become a stereotype? Buffy did it better with the tropes. Buffy, Buffy did the subverting the trope stuff uh, better. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the thing is I think the, the demon in the beginning, them playing on that cold open of the predator in the bar, but then having the predator actually be the monster uh, was a little, was something that Buffy would have done differently, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and it's playing a trope, but not doing anything with it, not doing anything. Yeah. 
It's we just know like, it's a monster show. So what did you subvert by making the monster the predator that we obviously knew was bad? You right. know? Yeah. Yeah. Like having it be like a weird parasite isn't subverting shit. It's like, okay. No, no. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. It's yeah. just kind of playing into the metaphor that this, the episode was setting up to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. So we get these clo- this closing discussion between Kate and Angel. And I they're definitely like showing us that she will pop up again. Um, Ian, do you, Ian or Ryan, do either of you remember, is it, she only lasts till season two, right? Or is it three? Season two. Um, she is gone in, uh, epiphany. Um, okay. Most angel seasons are split seasons and the end of the season two split season, uh, is epiphany and that's her last episode. Okay. Um, I, I truly think she is maybe one of my most hated Buffy character, Buffy verse characters. She's just I so, makes me so mad because I think she had potential. I just, she's so antagonistic. Constant. I hate a character. I hate a character who sees something and is like fine with it. And then like is written to like not be fine with it. An episode later. Like I hate uh, that giving, giving credit where credits due. Uh, my partner, Lonnie uh, mm. of chipperish, is the one who coined the term that as far as I know, uh, conflict vending machine. <laughs> and, uh, like Joyce, Joyce is an example of a con the conflict vending machine of Buffy where, uh, she's a terrible parent, uh, like, because she's completely <laughs> inconsistent. She lets her out of the SATs, but now she's grounded for this. You know, uh, Joyce is just there to create conflict to drive the stories of the episode. And the lack of consistency ends up sabotaging her character. And if anything, I think there's a there's a little bit of an over-reliance from Mutant Enemy on those kinds of characters from time to time. And Kate definitely, at various times, falls into the the conflict vending machine status for sure. I feel like it's not even like sometimes it's like, that's all she is. Like, I, the, like- I, the, the bits I like are the bits about her father um, and her, her sort of dealing with depression. I like, I'm a huge fan of the prodigal because of the way the, uh, the uh, angel turning and killing his father and sort of her feelings of uh, guilt over her own father's death and all of that. They, they do bother to develop some backstory and character there the, in a way that they did not with Joyce for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Joyce which is, is never was given that. Death. All this Joyce, Joyce has, people are going to be pissed at you. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I like I, I, and it's not a criticism of the performance and I'm not right. saying that Joyce doesn't have her moments on the show, but especially in the early seasons of uh, the series, I, I mean, like the bit where on Buffy's birthday, where uh, she and Buffy cuddle up on the couch and Buffy's like, I'm just going to let it burn. Mm. Like there are moments I love with Joyce, but um, she is frustrating when she's inconsistent and just (laughs) uh, driving plots. And, and I think Kate even has more development than, than Joyce does. Uh, So Mm. it it surprises me that you say she's one of your least favorite. I, uh, I just think she's in a different show. I think she's just doing her own, like it's a, it's a different world. But I, I would say like angel from, from angels to season from season one of angel to season two, is it a greater change than almost Buffy season one to season two in yes. terms of what the mission statement episodic nature of the show originally set out to do versus the, yeah. where we ended up. Well, the tone <laughs> changes pretty rapidly too. I, Very much. I think it's, I also feel like her and angel, not unlike, I don't even is it Nina, the werewolf girl in season five? Like, not unlike her. It's like, they're just like, here, blonde woman. They'll have chemistry, and they have yeah. none. 
Um, and it doesn't like, I don't know what their relationship is supposed to be other than she seems to fucking hate him. And so it's like, why are we going back to her is how I feel. Um, well, and I think it's, what is it in sense and sensibility? There's a moment. No, it's in, I think it's in somnambulist where he accidentally brushes her arm and th- th- she gives a look that shows that she notices yeah. and there's chemistry and it immediately goes away and they never do anything with it again. So it's just, Mm -hmm. it's clear that they were, she's not the only one. There are a couple more characters coming up. The, the millionaire character, uh, where it's just like, why is this a recurring character? You know, but they were just throwing stuff against the wall to see what worked. I always wish David Nesbitt would have actually been reoccurring. I, I feel like, like David. He's charming and sweet as hell. Yes. He was like a proto Andrew. Um, yeah. And I, I know that it was just that actor because he was in stuff like he just wasn't available. Um, yeah. But I, he's a character I would have liked to see. But anyway, so then we end on the beat of like Angel being like, oh, let's I'll take you out to celebrate. And I don't quite get why Doyle and Cordelia are like, no, we can't go out. Like, I was like, they didn't really do anything. They were just sitting at home researching. It's not like, I don't know. But I do like the bit of, like, Doyle being like, you can sit in the dark alone. And Angel being like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, it's there because they needed to complete the arc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they, they had yeah. to complete the cold open. It doesn't it's, It doesn't feel motivated, but. Because, right, yeah, yeah. like, if, if Cordelia and Doyle had been attacked by the demon, it would be like, oh, okay, that's their, like, you know, they went through it. But they really didn't. They were just, like, at her apartment. Um. Anyway, now we're at the end of the episode. Uh, favorite outfit, Ryan? My favorite outfit would go to when the woman who became, um, who was our first pr- prey of the parasite demon, uh, came mm. back all glammed up and vampified and yassified. Um, I thought that it was, <laughs> it was, uh, I, I thought it was misguided choice, but for the costume department to be given the challenge of like, use makeup to make her look like she's down to fuck this time. They <laughs> nailed it out of the park. I was like, God damn. <laughs> so that was my favorite. Uh, Ian? Uh, I would say giant linen parachute pants, uh, <laughs> as dated as they absolutely are. They were really comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite outfit is I actually, when Cordelia, when they first get to Cordelia's apartment, she's wearing a very cute, like light blue top with like pink flowers on it. That's like very of the time and like a black jacket. I think it looks really cute on her and the color looks nice. Uh, Crystal favorite outfit. Uh, favorite outfit. Now that's going to go to any single person in, in any of the bar scenes in the background. There are so many fabulous outfits, so many amazing, complicated 90s updos, little things sticking out of the buns at the back of the hair. Lots of great, like, sexy min- black mini dresses. Oh, it's it's really fabulous. Everyone. Oh, the, the redhead that Angel has a weird, like, flirtation with, who's really sassy. She had a great outfit. Uh, favorite scene, Ian? That isn't the cards. Cause it could be the cards I, I if mean, you want. <laughs> I, well, here, the thing is, the cards are so iconic. I, if, 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 if you ask someone to write down you know, five bullets of things they remember from the show, I, I got to think the cards, if not in the top five, are going to be in the top ten of just iconic moments <laughs> um, from angel and it's as you said it's amazing that it's in the second episode so probably the cards yeah fair uh ryan 
My favorite moment, this is a little thing, was um, Cordelia said that she wasn't planning on living in the, in this or any apartment. She said it was supposed to go home, hotel, hotel, husband. And I like that there was two hotels in there because it implies that either she got in conflict with the staff or decided she couldn't take this hotel anymore. But she knew she'd be switching hotels at least once. <laughs> um my favorite scene is the same as yours, Ian. It's the business cards. I just, I, I do like that Cordelia is the one to give them to them. I like that we see her giving like Angel Investigations forward momentum. Like she's the only one putting in the work. I mean, Angel's doing like the like muscle work, but she's like doing the business work. Um, and I like that she gets to do that. Uh, Crystal, favorite scene? Definitely when... We first see <laughs> the awkward girl who's now the host for the demon as the sex bomb version of herself, giving she's all that realness. I love a dowdy to sexy transformation. Oh, gets me every time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And now we're going to grade the episode. Uh, Ryan, what grade do you give it? Oof, I would give this episode a C. A C. I'm not going to be kind. I'm giving it a C (laughs) just for the outfits alone. (laughs) Ian? I think the thing to uh, think about is, I I would say C, and I think the thing about a C is it's, a C is not bad. It's genuinely average. (laughs) There was, it was watchable. There are things, you know, um, I I don't think uh, a C is a bad grade for the second episode of the series uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, same page there. Um, Crystal? Angel, when it's good, is very good, but a lot of times it's not good. And this is one of those times I give this episode a C. I definitely, we can't start giving out high grades in season one. Uh, Otherwise, we'll never get to our highs. So it's a C. Sorry. (laughs) I think I give it a C as well, because I do think this show just has a rough start to begin with. Um, I think... Next yeah. episode, Oz shows up, and that immediately Oz and Spike both, and that immediately makes it more fun. And I think once they learned that they could, they needed more, just more characters. Yes, is when the show, like, not even just like, oh, bringing Buffy people, just like more characters that we can like stay with and love. The show got. Better. We need more variables yeah. for these stories if the monsters aren't going to each be a spectacular creation. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, if you're going to deal in cliche, then the thing that needs to be remarkable are the characters that going through those things that we attach to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and, and you, it's, it's tough in an episodic show to develop tropes beyond the, the, the bit that you're using them for in this particular episode. And I think that's why the show eventually uh, shifts away from it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd agree with that. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for joining me. Uh, if you like Slayer Fest 98, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you want to support us on Patreon, uh, we are covering Harley Quinn Season 2 and What If Season 1. Um, and then there's always a bunch of like random other movie episodes thrown in. Uh, we covered everything everywhere all at once recently. And the support helps keep this podcast going. It's much appreciated. And we also have a Discord server um, available to all the Patreons and all the people that are part of the podcast. If you want to follow us on social, we are at SlayerFestX98. If you want to follow me, I am at Carlos. Ryan, where can everyone find you? You can find me at Ryan Houlihan all over the internet for all the stuff that I do. And then you can follow um, my better half, Aria Woman, 
who is um, a drag psychopath witch. (laughs) (laughs) You can find her at at AOL Keyword Woman, and you can find her podcast at Academy of Drag. (laughs) Uh, And Ian, where can everyone find you? I'm youtube.com slash passion of the nerd and uh, Twitter is uh, at Ian Nitram, which is my first and then last name spelled backwards, Martin. It took me a while to realize that that was your last. I think you said it on the podcast and I was like, oh, that's why. (laughs) Uh, And Crystal, where can everyone find you? Thanks for having me from the future. Uh, If you would like to follow me, it's Crystal. We'll see you now on Instagram and on Twitter. And um just follow me on social media. You can listen to my own podcast, which is called The Things That Made Me Queer, which obviously Buffy gets a decent mention or two. Uh, and you can find that wherever you get your pods. Uh, we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye. See you Bye. next time. Bye.